I'm Liz Corey. And I'm Katie King. And this is True Crime New England. What's up, everybody? Hello, welcome back. How's it going, Katie? It's going okay. How are you? I'm all right. Oh, good. Can't complain. Can't complain. We're here. We're recording an episode. Mm Mm-hmm. Which, full disclosure, guys, we haven't recorded an episode in several weeks. This is true. So it's been, it's a nice um, reminder of the work we do. Yes. Um, And if you guys are wondering why that is, um, well, we are efficient and we pre-record some of our episodes. Yes. It makes it easier only because it takes a while to edit them and then we're neurotic so we listen to it a lot and we're like, okay, what did I do wrong here? What was this? Why can you cut out this? And so we just prepare it. You know, we got to prepare the actual um, description for the episode. Yeah, the research. The too, research. Oh my God, it takes forever. Yeah. And then our work schedules too. It's just, yep. sometimes it's just easier to have a recording day where we bang yep. out a couple. And I think now would actually be a good time for me to let you know that the next <laughs> pay period, they're putting me on days. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. So we're going to have even more of a struggle. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. You're going from overnights to days? Yes. Oh my god. They say just for six weeks or whatever. That's crazy. Yeah. So you guys hear heard it here first. <laughs> the struggle is real. Oh wow. We're recording this what day is today? The eighteenth? Today is the eighteenth of January. Yes. Yes. So as of like pretty recent I think. Like yesterday. two days ago, two days yeah, ago. maybe. Yeah. There's been an update on the Maura Murray case, which if you guys are not familiar, she was our first episode. First episode fucking episode and it's a crazy case it's still cold today it's still unsolved it's been almost 18 years now Mm -hmm. it's coming up in the very beginning of february yeah february 4th i believe um is when she went missing or february 8th somewhere around that somewhere around there so she's gonna be missing as of you know that date for 18 years that's crazy which she would be i think she was 21 when she disappeared so she'd be 39 that's really nuts. Oh, so finally, you know, there's always like little sprinklings of her stories about her in the news and like, you know, oh, there was bones found on Loom Mountain. Could it be her? Oh, here's a new theory. A new person came forward, blah, blah, blah. And it never leads to anything. And, you know, it's really a bummer. Mm-hmm. But now the FBI has released this statement and it's bringing new light to her case all over again, which is great. Yeah, so they have finally created a violent criminal apprehension profile for Maura Murray, and they called Maura Murray's sister Julie to let her know that there would be an alert out so people Mm. are reminded of her case or they can know of her case if they haven't heard it already. Right. So it just brings more attention, especially because it's been 18 years. 18 whole years. Yeah. And there's still, there's just no answers. And, you know, I've been um, stalking Reddit quite a bit. It's Mm -hmm. like my new thing. I really enjoy Reddit. And, um, you know, one of the things that pops up a lot on these threads that I'm on, I'm on, like, morbid reality, serial killers. I'm on um, unresolved mysteries, you know, true crime, pop, like, just everything, right? And she pops up, I would say, fairly frequently. Yeah. And a lot of people have a lot of theories, and I think... You know, what I'm gathering from a lot of these Reddit threads is that a lot of people think she just died of exposure. Wow. Yeah, that's what I'm gathering from all just the general consensus. I'm, of course, I don't know what I believe happened still. I don't know. But, I mean, a lot of people seem to be convinced it was just a bad 
accident, bad timing, and that, you know, she just died because it was February and it was late. That's crazy. Yeah. But then, you know, of course, as we talked about in the episode, why wasn't she found? Right. Like, she didn't bury herself in the dirt, you know, like, she's she's not hiding somewhere. She probably didn't walk very far and would probably be found within a few miles, at least, of mm-hmm. where she crashed her car. It's just a whole bunch of, you know. It's crazy. But, yeah, we just had to share with you guys the update for her case. Because it's, you know, it's it's always good to have new light brought to cases, even mm-hmm. if they are a big level case like hers. It is well known, and that's just a fact. For so sure. keep your eyes peeled, especially for that. It'll probably be out um, in mass droves on the day, of, you know, the anniversary of her disappearance. Mm-hmm. So you'll probably be seeing a lot of that around if you are on like true crime Instagrams or Facebooks or what have you. So. Just thought we'd update you guys, because, I mean, that case is near and dear to our hearts. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Not only because we covered it, but because, you know, nursing and just, you know. The age, too, and the area. The location, yeah. yeah so sure. it's just a lot. But we're hopeful that something comes of that. Yeah, Maybe someone be will be like, oh, that girl. I remember I was this. Or there was a guy I saw who had that. You know? But anyway, our case today also has um, some publicity, I would say, not in recent years, but um, due to publicity is the reason why it became a thing. For sure. You know? So, just a little intro, um, we're doing a case that I found from the Innocence Project. Um, if you guys are not familiar, they're a nonprofit organization. They work to exonerate those who have been wrongfully convicted. Since they started, since the project began, 365 people, including 21 people on death row, have been exonerated by DNA testing. That's pretty freaking cool. And because of these guys, all 50 states now have statutes that allow for DNA testing. That's awesome. Isn't that crazy? Statutes of limitations piss me off. Mm -hmm. There's no need for them, truly. It's just crazy that no matter how much time has passed people still have a chance to get get justice or you know prove their innocence yeah they do such a good job um they use dna testing and a huge part of their foundation is based on reforming the criminal justice system um we've talked about it before but the system is racist as fuck (laughs) as we all know yeah um and people of color are often disproportionately wrongfully convicted and also Mm -hmm. wrongfully executed which is a really horrible thing to think about (gasps) So these guys are doing amazing work, and they were able to help the person that we're going to be covering today. It's just incredible. It's amazing. I took a lot of time and went through the Innocence Project's page and the list of people who were exonerated. It's a very big list. It's like over 2,500, I think. And I was going through choosing people, putting them on our list um, from the New England states. And like such a huge proportion of them are Mm African-American or Hispanic Mm -hmm. or even Asian. And then you have like, oh, white white guy right here. Like a (laughs) sprinkling of another white guy in here. Yes, it's so crazy how disproportionate it is. It really is. And what blows my mind is that, I mean, it makes sense, but there's an innocence project for like every state, which is awesome. Because no matter how small the state is, like Rhode Island per se, Mm -hmm. they have people working to help 
get justice for people who deserve it. Yeah. It's pretty awesome. It is pretty awesome. I mean, it's sad that it has to exist in the first place because <laughs> right. people are being wrongfully sentenced and wrongfully convicted. Right. And hopefully not wrongfully executed, but I mean... It's happened. It's, it ha- Yeah, it's happened a lot. So. And it will only continue to happen, unfortunately. So... But yeah, we just wanted to talk about the amazing organization that brought us the case we have today. And without further ado, today we will be covering the exoneration Exoneration of of James James Tillman. Okay, per usual, let's get in it with our sources. Katie, if you may. Sure. I use Wikipedia, The Innocence Project, but of course. Sure. ConnecticutMirror.com, which I actually got several different articles from. They did oh. a pretty good job covering this. Nice. Um, Greenwich Time and the Hartford Courant, yes. which always seems to be a staple of our Connecticut cases. It absolutely is. No doubt. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, I shared similar sources, as well as the National Registry of Exonerations. Oh, yes. Um Zeta Christian, she uh, it was a YouTube video um, interviewing the attorneys that helped James get oh, out. Shit. Yes, and James himself. And then um, something from casetext.com, which was basically um, official documents of an appeal he made. So that was pretty interesting and very helpful. So let's get started. Sweet. So let's go back to January 22nd, 1988 in Hartford, Connecticut. A 26-year-old woman, we're going to leave her anonymous because they did leave her name out of this. Mm -hmm. Um, We will, though, say for the sake of this case that she was a 26-year-old white woman. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's important to mention. Yeah. Um, She was getting into her car to warm it up, as one does, on a cold January evening. At 12.45 a.m., Yes. It's going to be a little, a titchel chilly. <laughs> Just a tad. Just a little bit. Just a tad. <laughs> um, she was leaving a bar where she had had some drinks with her colleagues. Her car was parked in an outdoor parking lot. Mm-hmm. So if you guys have never had the joy of having to warm up a car in a New England winter, mm. it takes a few minutes. Yes. So it doesn't matter if you're in Maine or you're in Connecticut like she was. It's going to be cold. Mm-hmm. All across the board. You got to warm your car up. Yes. And it's 1988. I'm guessing they didn't have automatic starters back then. <laughs> so true. she probably um, was just doing what I think even I would do to this day. Because, you know, it's cold outside. You have to warm your car up. Yes. So there was a lot of victim blaming around, mm. you know, why didn't she just drive off? Women love to sit in their cars. <laughs> It's like you don't have the option of getting in your car and immediately driving away in the winter Yeah. in January. And of course, why should she feel like she can't do that just because she's a woman? She has to warm her car up. She has to literally. Like, <laughs> anyway. Are we yeah. not allowed to sit in our cars? Like, I'm sorry I'm I own this so piece of property. Irritated. Should I not? Should I feel constantly like I'm scared for my life in the parking lot in a, when I'm by myself? No, I shouldn't feel that way. Yeah, it's just blows my mind Mm -hmm. but of course this was 1988 so things were wait still the same as they are today (laughs) you don't say oh my god (laughs) so she's sitting there she was getting a drink with her supervisor and some co-workers so now she was sitting in her car letting it warm up her supervisor watched her you know get in her car so while she was backing up 
she realized that she didn't have her seatbelt on. And as we all know, safety is sexy. So she, <laughs> you know, stopped to put her seatbelt on real quick. Um, she realized that her driver's side door was un- unlocked. So she was like, oh, I'm going to buckle and, you know, press the lock. And while she was doing that, very quick, matter of seconds, a stranger suddenly pushes his way into her car through the passenger door and turns off the ignition. Oh, God. Yeah. Pushes her. And he pushes her to the passenger side and gets in the car. Yeah. And this is where it gets terrible, unsurprisingly. I would just cry. I, I can't even imagine. Yeah, it's tough. Um, he managed to drive the car with her inside of it to a secluded location in a church parking lot. A church parking lot. And then while they were there, he beat her pretty brutally. Yeah, he was punching her repeatedly. Really bad. Um, He raped her, and then he robbed her of her jewelry and all of the money that she had on her person. Yeah. So after he was done assaulting her and beating her in the church parking lot, he drove to a different location just a few minutes away, parked grabbed her purse, grabbed her jewelry, and just left. And so he left this innocent, beaten, assaulted woman in the cold, you know, just like, what just happened? And no idea where she is. No, no. It's probably at this point, it's probably closer to 2 Mm a.m., I would guess. So she's disoriented. She was, she did have a few drinks. Like, she wasn't, she probably sobered up real fast. Like, oh my God, what's happening? Because that's, a very sobering event. That's terrifying. You know, so this poor woman. And she was beaten pretty bad. Oh my God, it was so scary. She had various bruises and most notably she had a large cut over one of her eyes. Mm-hmm. It ended up requiring several stitches and eventually her eye closed completely. Oh, that's awful. So she has to live with that for the rest of her life. Yeah, that memory. You're just even that little scar mm-hmm. that that would leave. Yeah. Because, man, stitches near or on your eye, like your eyebrow, your eye socket, ouch! Mm-hmm. Poor thing. That's terrible. Yeah. And the eye injury is actually a pretty important detail we will bring up again later. Yeah. For some foreshadowing. So, of course, you know, she goes to the police and she says what happened and she describes her attacker and the whole event and obviously a manhunt begins for someone matching her description and that maybe was in the area at the time because they're going to find who did it. She's a white woman and her attacker was African-American. So that alone makes the world fume, right? Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, this white woman, she's victimized by a black man. Mm -hmm. That's obviously the natural conclusion because that's how racist the world is. Right, get the torches and the pitchforks. Let's go get this guy. Right, right. So... There was some evidence that was collected Mm -hmm. from the crime scene from her, and that included um, semen on her pantyhose and her dress, which, of course, they took and they kept. Again, this is 1988. It's not like they had standard DNA testing like they have now. But as we see with a lot of these cases that are now getting solved, People have the smarts to at least put the DNA away, mm-hmm. store it properly. And, you know, nowadays they can take it out and be like, okay, we have a match. But they took that DNA sample. There's several of them. And, of course, what they have the most of is the eyewitness testimony of the victim. Mm-hmm. 
So that's what's really important. And, you know, all things considered, they assumed that she would be able to accurately identify her attacker, which, of course, you give that benefit of the doubt, right? But like you mentioned, she had a gash over her eye that was um, pretty imperative to the investigation. Yeah. And that doesn't even include your adrenaline is pumping. Right. Alcohol may have been a factor. Right. Not her fault at all whatsoever. No, no, but no. it's just it's just such a shitty situation. Yes. She's terrified. It's cold. It's dark. She doesn't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. She's being punched in the face repeatedly. The yeah. odds of her getting a good look at this guy. Right. It's really not the best situation for a case to be based solely or almost solely on the eyewitness right. account. Right. So when she goes to the police station and they show her photos of mugshots from men in the area with prior arrest records, mm-hmm. she points at one and she goes, oh my God, that's him. Yeah. And the man that she identified was 26-year-old James Tillman. Right. He had been living with his mom and working in a car wash when he was charged with the crime. And then the whole semen situation from right. the pantyhose. Ugh. So they were able to do serological testing. Mm-hmm. It's not DNA testing because it's not exact. Right. Um, serological testing, it looks at what antibodies are present in a given sample, so it can't narrow down specific individuals, but it can narrow down groups of people. Right. So, to give you guys a better idea of the shit that hit the fan with this case, the specific set of antibodies present in the semen, it could have come from about 20% of the male population, and James Tillman was part of this 20%. Right. And it may seem like 20%, that's a really small number. Like, what are the chances he had that? Um, well, if you think about it, 20% of the male population of the entire world, there's going to be several people sprinkled around you and me right now <laughs> that would have that. Right, let alone in the area of Hartford, Connecticut, right. a pretty large city. Exactly. So it just... It's not it just out sucks. of the realm of possibilities that he would share the same serological components Mm -hmm. as someone else maybe that could have committed this crime. Right. And like you said, it's not DNA specific. It's just saying that, well, this came from someone who has this antibody present. It's not like it has all of the matchings of his DNA. Right. It's not specific. So, hello. Another fun detail is that they did a rape kit on her, as Mm -hmm. one does, um, but the samples in the kit were not tested in time for the trial. Which is mm, a little uh, peculiar. Yeah, which I mean, DNA is not a thing. Right, but I, right. I feel like it could have helped narrow it down a little bit more. But they felt like they had their guy, so they went yep. with it. Right, and that's often what happens. They mm-hmm. pinpoint a suspect, and they just, they're like, okay, we'll do whatever we can to really tie this together. Right. And additionally, the forensic analyst who was doing the semen sampling with the serological um, profile, they forgot to note that there was the possibility of the semen being slightly degraded because of time and Mm -hmm. um, just the situation. And so that actually would have changed the results of the testing. Um, Great. Right. So it's possible that even from the start, that maybe that 20% male population conclusion, maybe even that wasn't correct. You know, it's hard because back then there wasn't as careful handling of DNA and things like that. Even stuff that we didn't know back then that Mm -hmm. we know now. So, you know, there's a few factors here already that we're like, okay, this is um, 
not, it feels like to me it wouldn't be enough to convict someone. It's a little dicey. And of course, they relied heavily on the eyewitness testimony, which you want to believe the victim. There's no reason not to. She identified who she thought was the perpetrator. And it just so happened to turn out that because of her eye injury and the setting and all that, she possibly identified the wrong person. Yeah, and I feel like it's not her fault. I feel no. like the real ball drop here was with investigators, which, yes. I mean, it's it wouldn't be an episode <sighs> of True Crime New England if someone didn't drop the ball somewhere with one of these cases. <laughs> um, Law enforcement, mainly. Yeah, hello. No offense. Huh. Um, they really really believed her, which of course you want to believe the victim, but they also didn't put a whole lot of effort into maybe exploring other people. They're like, okay, this is our guy. Let's get him. Let's convict him on anything and everything we have. He's going to trial. Let's go. Right. He's done. Right. And it's crazy because, you know, it's innocent until proven guilty. Here is a very good case of guilty until proven innocent. Mm -hmm. Very good example of that. For sure. We see that a lot with people of color. Yeah, especially still, black men. Yes, to this day. doesn't matter if this was an 88. It's still to this day. It's bananas. So, unfortunately, due to the eyewitness testimony and, you know, the fact that James Tillman was a part of that 20% male population that had this serological component, mm-hmm. James ended up being convicted of kidnapping in the first degree, sexual assault in the first degree, robbery in the third degree, assault in the third degree, and larceny in the second degree. Jesus Christ. Could I tell you what any of that meant? No. I didn't pay attention to our uh, law class we took in the second semester of senior year of high school I couldn't tell you anything but what I could tell you is that's a lot of things Mm -hmm. for a man who adamantly the whole trial was like I am innocent I did not do this straight up and down he says I'm innocent please like believe me no, he gets all these charges stuck on him. And it's crazy how history repeats itself over and over and over when someone takes the testimony of a white woman and they mm-hmm. take this gospel, especially when right. it comes to a white woman's claim of what happened over a black man. Right. History just keeps repeating Every time. itself. And it's really, really fucked up. I don't think it'll ever stop, if I'm being honest. Yeah. One of the most fucked up things to me about this was that James was actually offered a plea deal where he could serve one year in prison with good behavior if he confessed to the crime, mm-hmm. but he turned it down. Yep. He later gave a statement where he said, I would rather serve 100 years in prison before I admitted to something that I didn't do. Yeah, which I think is fairly substantial. Yeah, I think it speaks to his honor mm-hmm. and that he really is a good guy and he he did not do this. Right. And he's not going to admit to something he didn't do because he has dignity and he has honor. Right. Exactly. And it's really fucked up that he was so screwed over in this way. I know. So instead of that taking that plea deal and getting only one year, he ended up being sentenced to 45 to 90 years, mm-hmm. which is such a wide range, first of all. But 45 years? He was 26 years old. That's his whole, whole life. That's so fucked up. His whole entire life gone and he's standing there saying I did not do it and they're like sorry but not sorry yeah sucks for you yeah so of course as anyone would he fought this and he fought it and he fought it in 1991 there was this huge appeal that he 
made um, with the defense team to try and be like, okay, listen, here's some reasons why this case should be thrown out. He had some pretty good points, I would say. He brought up some real good points. Yeah. Like, enough where I was convinced, you know? Oh, for sure. He did a really good job with this, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, One of the things he argued was that the jury selection was improper because several potential jurors were excused due to financial hardship. Um, He brought up an excellent point, saying that minorities are more likely to experience financial hardship, and because these jurors were dismissed, there was not a single black juror during his trial. Which is, as we know now in today's crime world, that's um, kind of automatically going to cause bias and... I think we all know where that that is not a jury of his peers. No, that is not a fair jury of his peers. No, at all. Which is his right, for sure. Even as a criminal, quote unquote, you have that right. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is that um, the whole thing, beside it being discriminatory, was that they were all residents of Hartford, Connecticut, which is where this crime took place. So people heard about it on the news. Mm -hmm. They were seeing it in the newspapers. They had, you know, friends who knew a friend who knew the victim. You know, everybody knew about it, especially by the time the trial happened. So all of these white people who were in the jury naturally were like, okay, well, duh. So they they all had already made their choice. Mm -hmm. And no matter what the trial brought about, it wasn't going to change a thing. They already made their choice. They already knew. And that's why... Again, it's not fair to even a criminal, quote-unquote, that they would have a jury of just white men. It's just so biased. It's so biased. For sure. It's so biased. In the initial jury selection, James requested that the clerk send in a new panel that would be appropriately representative of, you know, his race and literally his residence, everything. Right, his upbringing, his economic yes. class, all of that. And of course they dismissed all those people. Of course they did. Because, you know, suddenly the court cares about economic hardships and um, the people who had to go to work and couldn't afford to not go to work. No, no, you know what? You guys just go on. Go on, you're okay. Well, you got out of this. Don't worry. Yeah, how convenient. Because you know they were all African American. For sure. Yeah. Because unfortunately that falls on the African-American population not getting great jobs and like, you know, the whole bias thing. We don't have to explain it to you. Um, Of course, the court ruled this untimely and um, they said unless James, in his defense, could present that there was sufficient evidence to prove that the clerk was actually like choosing people um, improperly, he had no time for it. He said, no, it's not. This isn't the time. You gotta love it. It's just like, what? And you know this judge was a white man. But of course. An old, stinky white man. But of course. (laughs) Like, come on. And then, of course, a few days after the initial inquiry, James and his defense team claimed that they had been informed by the clerk that jurors were being routinely dismissed for the economic hardship. Mm -hmm. So they found that out, and they were like, even better. That's more stuff in our pocket, right? No. That didn't make a fucking difference. It never does. It's just so bad. Um, Again, it wouldn't be an episode of True Crime New England if we didn't mention (laughs) how the police came into play with fucking something up. Mm -hmm. So when James Tillman was being questioned by police, they had asked him how he had gotten some bruises on his hands. And he replied he didn't get them from punching a girl. (laughs) He's like, I didn't get these from punching anybody. I didn't get them from punching a girl. 
the detectives were like, oh shit, you just confessed because we didn't tell you the girl was punched. Oh, come on. But before they even asked him how he got the bruises, they had showed him a picture of the girl's injuries and it oh. was very blatantly obvious she had been hit and punched in the face. Right. I mean, bruises, black eye. It doesn't take Hello. a lot to figure out. Yeah, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to look at a picture of a bruised and battered woman's face who has clearly been punched. Yeah. And deduce from that, okay, she's been punched in the face. So So they stupid. were like, oh, you you just oh, you uh, slipped uh, up there. That's a confession. So dumb. Hey, put him in handcuffs. He's done. Yeah. Yeah, so that was the basis of how he was arrested, which is fucking bullshit. They baited him. Yes, they absolutely did. Yeah, they do absolutely. that all the time. They bait people and they trick them and they interrogate them for hours and hours and hours and they yep. exhaust them. And this is the methods that they use. And so absolutely. This is what happened with James Silman. So there was all of that. Mm-hmm. coming up in the appeal process that was like okay here's the problem with that here's the problem with the bruised hand you know that's not sufficient evidence um and the court of course you know he was making all these uh claims that i think in his defense were um accurate and they held a lot of weight so the court fired back and was like you know no, you don't understand there was a murder trial where the person being accused was black and he had three black men on his jury and he was convicted of murder. So even if we had black people on your jury, James, you would still be convicted because, you know, it doesn't matter the race of people. You can't <laughs> make this shit up. Ridiculous. <laughs> I'm telling you. Ridiculous. So he was like, okay, well, that's fucking great. You're racist as hell. Like, thank right, you. Nice. Like, thanks great. so much. Um, he also raised a point that he had been. Uh, the judge had given instructions to the jury to ignore things that were super important. Like, you know, the victim was impaired, like the possibility that the victim was impaired or the fact that maybe she could not see very well Mm -hmm. because she had sustained an injury over her eye that ended up with it being swollen shut. Now, again, not victim blaming. She had no Problem, she did not do anything wrong, but that would impair your judgment a little bit, right? Right. I don't think that her statement of, okay, it's him, right, should have been the sole reason why this guy was convicted, basically. It was a really big part of this case. Right. And I really don't think that it should have held most of the weight. Right. Out of all of the evidence they could have possibly used. Right. And so the court, you know, the judge was like, okay, fair, whatever. And he told the jury, don't, don't think of that, but maybe assess, you know, the victim's degree of stress, Mm -hmm. you know, which is not at all the level of impairment or the fact that she had stitches over her eyes. You know, it's not the same thing. No, it really diminishes the whole thing of adrenaline is pumping Mm -hmm. she is under stress right she could be impaired physically mentally anything she's terrified of course and the way that it was phrased to the jury really just diminished the emphasis of is this woman really going to be the sole purpose basically why this guy is convicted right and it was, it's just, I imagine it being so casual, like the judge is like, you guys just forget about all that. Remember, it was a very stressful situation. She was hurt. She was scared. And they were like, 
you got it. Right. By this man. By this, this man. This her and scared her. Literally. And I also feel like it really is not fair to the victim mm-hmm. having all of this be put on her. Right. Because anybody could make that mistake or yeah. say, oh, you know, they have similar facial features, they're the same height, they're right. around the same build, okay, right. let me go with him. Right, right. Anybody could make that mistake and it's really not fair to her Absolutely. to have to be the basically the sole reason why this guy was convicted. Yeah, pretty much. They didn't really take a whole lot of other evidence into account, and it's really not fair to her. No. And it's funny you say that, too, because um, the final argument that James included in this 1991 appeal was that the court improperly excluded a notebook that contains field notes from a social worker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The notes included a statement from the lead detective of the case indicating that the fingerprints not matching James were found on the driver's side door of the vehicle, a.k.a. the driver who, you know, the person who opened the door to attack the victim did not match James. His fingerprints were not found anywhere, anywhere. And they were like, well, I don't know. I'm just going to make that disappear right quick. Real quick, by the way. And unfortunately, as you guys probably predicted, the appeal was denied and um, his verdict was affirmed and he remained in jail because, you know, people suck. And in jail he sat until 2005 when the Connecticut Innocence Project took on James Tillman's case with public defenders Karen Goodrow and Brian Carlo. Heroes. Absolute heroes. James, in a later interview, stated that Karen fought for him like he was her own child. Oh, I love that. I love that. It's amazing. They did such good work. Um, They were both public defenders Mm -hmm. in the Capital Defense and Trial Services Unit, so they were working on capital felony cases. So when they saw this, they were like, "Uh, there's some things in this trial that just don't add up. Mm -hmm. Very unfair. So they swooped right in and they saved the day. They did so good. So they allowed more advanced DNA testing to be performed on the sample of the victim's pantyhose Mm -hmm. and also on multiple semen stains from the dress. Yeah. Um, The study that they did found five different samples of DNA, all from, you know, the five different samples that they took from different spots. And they were able to figure out that all five of these samples were from the same individual. Mm. And this DNA that they were finally able to gather and test did not match James Tillman. Right. Not even a little. So even like the general grouping of like the population, they were like, ooh, awkward. Yeah. Like, let's go a little more specific now that we have the technology and we actually right. have DNA to use and test. Right. Let's figure out who this guy is. Right. And so... Using that, Mm -hmm. on June 6th of 2006, James Tillman's conviction was vacated after the Superior Court granted a petition for a new trial based on DNA evidence, and he was then released without having to pay bail. It had been 18, 17 years? Uh, Over 18 years. Yeah. Yep. He was in jail for a crime he did not commit. Yep. And then on July 11th, 2006, the charges against James Tillman were finally dropped and he was exonerated after spending over 18 years in prison out of his 45 to 90 year sentence so you for know, a crime he did not do. Yeah. You know he would have just kept serving those years mm-hmm. until at least 40, 45 years. He would have been, let's see, he was 26. So he would have been well into his 70s at that point. Jesus Christ. No life. He'd have no life. 
And there's this great quote from James that like touched my heart. And he says, conviction can be a powerful thing. When you have conviction, it means you hold beliefs that are so strong that nobody can take them away. When I was locked up, nobody in the world besides my mother and my brother thought I was innocent, but I held conviction. We convict others out of ignorance, but we find freedom when we live in love, not hate. And when we seek redemption, not revenge. And when we ask for forgiveness. So, beautiful, I know. So that he's taking the word conviction Mm -hmm. From, yes, he was convicted of this horrible crime. He's taking the word and saying, yes, but we, you know, we, when we have conviction, you know, we have, it's such a powerful thing. I just, I love that. This man, he went through so much. And when he was released, he, oh my God, so he was doing amazing things. He started working as a clerk at the Capital Region Education Council, mentoring at-risk children. Mm -hmm. He served in ministry for the Hopewell Baptist Church. And then the governor of Connecticut offered him $500,000 in compensation for wrongful incarceration. He deserves hundreds of millions, but that's a start, I guess. And then a bill was also introduced to provide Tillman with $5 million for the 18.5 years that he wrongfully spent in jail. And he received the money on May 16, 2007. Perfect. As he should. Fun fact. Oh. He was the first person in the state of Connecticut to be exonerated with post-conviction DNA testing through the efforts of the Innocence Project. That is a fun fact. Awesome. It's an actual fun fact. It's not like yeah. a, oh, fun, fun fact. fact, everybody dies. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it's yeah. It's a nice That's fact. a really awesome fun fact. Tillman is now a writer and an inspirational speaker, and he's pursuing a bachelor's degree in human services at Goodwin College. That's awesome. Karen Goodrow, one of his public defenders, stated... It doesn't surprise me that he's gone on to do these wonderful things because he was not burdened with anger and resentment. He is the true embodiment of forgiveness, and in that way, I'd like to be more like him. Oh, I love that. So now you guys might all be wondering who actually committed the crime. I was wondering this. I did not find anything on it. So when you were like, what do you have on the guy that did it? I was like, what? (laughs) So please share with us who was the fucker that did that so when the innocence project was doing the dna testing Mm -hmm. and they were like okay so it's not james tillman who is it right let's get this woman justice absolutely after all these years absolutely the dna was linked to a man named Dwayne foster in 2009 it took them until 2009 to find this guy wow The reason it took them a long time was because he was serving time in a Virginia state prison after he was transferred there out of a Connecticut prison to relieve overcrowding. Hmm. He has an arrest record dating back to 1977. Jesus. Some coincidences, which, you know, you can see why he would have been in the same time and place as James Tillman. Mm -hmm. He used to live in one of the same neighborhoods as James Tillman in Hartford, Connecticut. Oh, shit. James and Dwayne also met and interacted in prison when James was serving time for the crime Dwayne committed. Oh my God. While Dwayne was serving time for another crime. That's insane. They crossed paths and they met. Oh my God. Um, The crime that Dwayne was serving time for at the time that James was in the same prison serving... His crime. Yeah, serving (laughs) his crime. Um, It was theft of a firearm just months after the rape was committed. Oh. So while they were so focused on James Tillman, this guy's running around 
continuing to be a felon. La la la. Tillman and Foster also share very similar facial characteristics, and they are about the same height and weight, mm. which, I mean, would explain why she identified Tillman over Foster. Yeah. Both of their mugshots were presented to her yeah. in the lineup. Oh, really? Yes. His was too. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. They took a whole bunch of mugshots fitting the description of her attacker. Yeah. And so because this guy had an arrest record since 1977, this yeah. is one of the mugshots that she was presented with. Oh, my God. And she just happened to pick James over him. Right. Although the statute of limitations has expired for the rape charge, mm. which I hate. Yep. Dwayne was arrested on other charges for the crime. Good. Fucking good. Yeah. Not good enough, but good to start. Yeah. Damn. Holy fucking shit, Innocence Project. Yeah. That's insanity. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Oh, my God. They served time together. That's... Ugh. Isn't that nuts? I wonder if he... If Dwayne knew. Right? Was like, oh, yeah, you. I know. I what what are you in talk. for? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, James is probably was saying, like, I was convicted of this crime. I didn't do. Here's what happened. And Dwayne's probably like, Yeah, Dwayne's like, wow, it's crazy, That's insane, dude. (laughs) That's nuts. So violent. You're violent, dude. I only stole a gun. You're fucking, you're fucked up. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my, that's insane. Yeah, and the fact that they lived in the same neighborhood at one point. It just shows. Innocence yeah. Project, man. They do a great Holy job. Shit. Yeah, guys, definitely check them out. They do really incredible things. And you can absolutely 100% donate to the Innocence Project as well. Yes, you sure can. Because There's, you should. Because everyone should. Yeah. And, I mean, do it in your own state if you want. I mean, I love it. I yeah. love it. It's fantastic. So, that's a crazy story. But, you know, I'm so glad James got justice, even if it meant he had to spend 18 years in jail for I a crime he imagine. didn't do. Poor thing. But it seems like now he's thriving and I'm happy for him. Mm-hmm. He's doing amazing things. He really turned it around. Good. Good for him. He seems like he's got a lot of love in his heart, mm-hmm. which is important, I think. So if you guys have a lot of love in your heart, <laughs> that's a terrible segue, but I'm going to stick with it. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at TrueCrimeNE. All lowercase. Or... You can email us at truecrimeny at gmail.com. Or you can find us on our website at truecrimeny.com. You can send us cases using our submission toolbox. You can be anonymous if you want to. Give us your information if you want to interact with us more. Mm-hmm. Send us DMs. Comment. Emails at us. Yeah, email Please. us. Tweet at us. Please. Give more attention on our Twitter. Yeah, we have no... <laughs> I haven't been on the Twitter in months. I forget it's a thing Yeah. I'm so focused on the website and Instagram. <laughs> yeah. So if you guys think of it, be like, oh my God, Twitter, we're such an easy thing to follow because we don't do anything. <laughs> so just follow us to follow us. We're not going to spam your yeah, Twitter feed. Exactly. And when we do it, we just repost things that are relevant. Yes. And it's not frequently. So no. if that sounds good to you, that sounds good to me. So I would do it. Um, and with that, we'll see you next week. Bye. Goodbye. Goodbye.